Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 59 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And we have all three of us today <laughs> in the house. Actually, all in our houses, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Last time I was trying to connect through the airport and that was a big disaster <laughs> yeah yeah you uh you were over uh in europe doing uh what ended up being a 47k race hill how was it it looked wet it looked very oh, wet yeah it was super wet um it was uh yeah ireland is crazy it's like um i expected some weather but it was just basically rainy uh and windy the whole time so i think within the first maybe 10 minutes i was just completely soaked so i had a lot of body glide on and it was great <laughs> but, it's like body glide and then you can do the like the biker thing and start using like embrocation yeah right the like the like heating lotion that i feel like steven like steven wears it running in the pacific mm-hmm. northwest in the winter he like Wait, what is ru- this thing it's oh called, yeah they call, they call it like embro and it's this yeah. like it's basically it's like a lotion it's a lotion that you can like rub on your legs cyclists oh. use it a lot and it mm-hmm. and it literally warms your legs yeah oh, that might be my my way to live here Okay, we'll it send actually, you. Look at my works you. right now. Yeah, oh. it works. It works really well, and it's actually, especially like in the wind, because anytime I was like super exposed, I was like, ah, should I put on my gloves? Should I not? And yeah, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll send you some some uh, intel later, Keely. But yeah, that might be your new your new hot secret to surviving <laughs> Portland Portland winter. It is pouring outside your windows right now, Keely. Oh, it's nasty. Yeah. It's like winters come early in the Pacific Northwest. We rushed to get our front yard project done yesterday, and now we have a great test to see if our drainage system works because it's just absolutely dumping. And the verdict is it kind of works, so we might have to fix a little bit of it. <laughs> You're like, please drain the water away from our house. Yeah, it's real, real P&W winter problems over here. I was over in Big Bear, California this weekend, ran into so many of you out on course and just out and about in Big Bear for the Kodiak trail races that were going on this weekend, um, was not wet. And actually it was kind of crazy when I flew to Palm Springs, it was 98 degrees Fahrenheit. And then when I got off the plane in Seattle, it was like wet and cool and 60. And I was like, ah, okay, (laughs) home. This feels like home. Mm, That's where we differ. Yeah, he was like, I need to go to the desert stat. Get me to get me to SoCal ASAP. <laughs> yeah, wow. I was I was up on Long's Peak like uh, this week and um it was was that this week? I think so, yes. And uh there's snow. I didn't actually make the summit because it's it's like there's snow and like death ice. So winter has come pretty early over yeah, here. Which for the continental snowpack. Well, this is not a snow science podcast. Early snow is <laughs> never a good thing for our backcountry skiers. It just it sta- it sticks around. It creates Horrible. all these weak weak layers in the snow, which just makes things very risky um, when it comes to like reactivity and avalanches. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that it doesn't form any nasty pockets. But um, mm-hmm. we've got a good show for you guys today. We have a really fun interview with Callie Vinson that we'll get to in a little bit. But you know, we've got a little bit of news and results to get to before we do that. We have to give a quick shout out, though, to our friends over at AG1. That's the folks over at Athletic Greens. They've been with us since the beginning and are helping us keep this thing afloat and bringing it to your ears um, twice a month, every month, maybe for forever. No one <laughs> knows. But if you want to try AG1, you're going to go over to athleticgreens.com slash Society. And there with your first purchase, you get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. Again, a huge shout out to our friends over at 
AG1. I put some stuff in the news this week. I keep talking about the National Women's Soccer League. We were actually on transit on our way to the Postal Service and Death Cab for Cutie show a couple of weeks ago here in Seattle. And light rail was bumping. And they were, it was bumping because it was Megan Rapinoe's last game with the rain ending her career here in Seattle um, and her professional soccer career. And it was absolutely wild how many people were jam packing onto this light rail station or into the light rail cars in Seattle. I think they had record attendance and that seems to be kind of the theme amongst the national women's soccer league right now. They recently announced while not given giving too many details that the they've divvied up the new um, media agreement between ESPN, CBS, Amazon, and Scripps. The previous agreement was just to CBS for a three-year deal. Um, and this contract will run through 2027. And at which point the new deal will be timed perfectly to include the 2027 World Cup, which is a big money-making thing for women's professional soccer. And uh, they don't have, they haven't released an exact number as far as like what the new media deal is worth. Um, the the new four-year contract is worth, but the previous three-year deal with CBS was valued at $4.5 million. Um, and it was supposed like supposedly it was a monster number, a monster number well above that. So kind of mm-hmm. curious to see what that looks like. And them divvying up the media amongst several different distributors will have that will help them reach a wider and broader audience from a viewership perspective, which is pretty cool. And then the most other recent news that came out was that they kind of did an evaluation rather a valuation of the teams in the women's soccer league and angel city came in at the most like highly valued team at uh, being valued at 180 million dollars and that all the teams in the league if you look at an average of what the team value is it's about 66 million dollars so yeah. it's really cool i think to see women's sports and like particularly the women's soccer league um be valued appropriately and i think that number seems to be on the rise yeah. And then I think the other thing that I was really, 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 mm. really excited about was um, the the goat Simone Biles, who was yeah. has been the goat for a long time. Um, she won her first world championship medal in I think in Antwerp actually, where they just had worlds um, again this year, ten years ago at sixteen years old. Um, she's now twenty six. She just won her sixth all around world championship medal, gold there. She had a new skill named after her on the <laughs> vault, um, which is insane. It's mm-hmm. actually a skill, too, that she'll continue to get points docked off for because it's so dangerous that her coach spots her during the vault. And mm-hmm. that like comes with an automatic point deduction. But it's still such a highly the, the difficulty skill is still so high that even with that deduction um, for her own safety, they like it still just like blows everyone out of the water, which is <laughs> really crazy. And you have to remember too that Simone Biles like withdrew from many events during the 2020 Tokyo Olympics due to what gymnastics what gymnasts call the twisties. Mm-hmm. Um, was dealing with some mental health battles, and it's just really cool to see her be like, you know what, I want to go to Paris. I'm back. Yeah. Like I don't know, it's yeah. it's super inspirational. Yeah, and it reminds everyone that sport doesn't have to be a linear journey. It can be like trending in the right direction, but there can be lots of ups and downs. And like you can be the, you know, delegator of your own journey. You can take a break if you need to. Like you don't have to suffer through mental health challenges, physical challenges just to get to the pinnacle of your sport. Like you can get to the pinnacle of your sport by staying true to yourself, which she's been doing really well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember us talking about her removing herself from the Olympics and, and, you know, kind of, 
talking about her and a number a number of other athletes who were able to like come forward and say, hey, like it's not all it's not all rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. Like this this is hard and we're human and these things happen and I'm going to protect myself. And I think someone tweeted actually like kind of at Simone Biles saying, remember five months ago when we didn't think Simone Biles would like ever compete again? And she retweeted it and she was like, me too. Like I didn't think five (laughs) months ago that I'd be here either um, because she really had completely stepped away from the sport and to come back at 26, like gymnastics is a, is a young woman's sport, Mm -hmm. right? Like generally, you know, her winning the all around world title at 16, that that's generally like the common at like the common theme there and to come back you know like gymnastics and gymnasts in their 20s i think are oftentimes seen as geriatric gymnasts and they compete mm-hmm. in like one specific event that they happen to be highly good at and i think it's really cool to see simone back strong healthy mentally engaged mentally in it um and competing at a level even higher than what we saw her bring into the 2020 olympics yeah. it's Amazing. wild yeah yeah so she was the goat before she was, uh, <laughs> she's, she's yeah. still the goat it turns out but um and then i think the last piece of news before we blur into some news slash results with kona um keely you um by the time this comes out you'll have a piece a new piece published on the free trail website and it's about a ve- uh, a very cool new science article that came out and i'm wondering if you can kind of tee it up and kind of summarize the really big important takeaways um, from that article. Yeah, I'll, I'll thank you for this one because you got this paper on my radar. I actually hadn't seen it come out. Um, but there's a lot of really big reviews coming out right now on female athlete health, which is really exciting. And this one in particular is titled The International Society of Sports Nutrition Position Stand on Nutritional Concerns of the Female Athlete. Um, it was published back in May, actually, um, with lead author being Stacey Sims and then a, a very long team of experts in the space. Um, and the article itself is really like very thoroughly written and extremely long, has a ton of citations, like cites like almost 400 other articles. Um, and it touches on a lot of avenues of female athlete health. Um, in particular, it talks about a lot of different ways we metabolize nutrients like carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. But then it breaks them down for those who menstruate during different phases of their cycle, how that could impact how they metabolize these things. It also makes sure to talk about like people on birth control, if there's any studies out on them. And then it also talks about women who are going through menopause, so either perimenopause or postmenopause, and if there's any research out on that. And unfortunately, the overwhelming consensus in this paper is that there's typically not a ton of research in any of those, you know, niche genres underneath general female athlete fueling considerations. However, they do summarize the the limited amount of studies in these spaces really well. And so, yeah, for this first article, I kind of just broke the the rev, the review in half because it's so lengthy and I didn't want people to get lost. Um, and so in this one, I really just tackle like metabolism differences that could occur from, you know, for female athletes with different le- regulating sex hormone levels or in different phases of menopause and how we can kind of interpret those results. Um, and just, I guess, some of the things that I found really interesting, and I think this will all be a lot more easy to digest if you guys head over and read that article or even just go read the review. But some of the things I found interesting was like, number one, 
There's nothing new here in general. Before we get into any sort of nitty gritty, the general consensus is just to try to fuel enough, <laughs> which I feel like I try to get across to people. You know, it's like everyone wants to know the secret diet recipe, what kind of macros and micros they need to be getting. But in general, like the first answer is always just make sure you're getting enough calories because just those short abouts, which they're seeing now is could be less than five days of low energy availability mm-hmm. can have very detrimental effects on on female athletes. And so just a lot of things to consider and just reinforces the fact that like we need to be really mindful on the day-to-day to try to meet those caloric demands because even like short-term mess-ups kind of can really put us in the whole long-term. Um, and then I think there were just some really cool little tidbits about different phases of the cycle. So there's some research coming out about the luteal phase that sh- that increased that shows that we might need increased calories during that time, which I think is interesting because it also coincides with typically an increased desire for calories. And so like, just an increase like that. metabolic rate during that yeah. too, right? It makes sense. Like your, <laughs> your, your, body temp- will tell you. your temperature is up, your, metabol- your yeah. metabolism is up. It's like, oh, I'm eating more, but it's because my body uh-huh. needs more. Right. And so I think for the longest time, at least like how I grew up, it was kind of like a bashful time to be like, oh, I'm like have the period cravings or all these things. But like, no, that is physiologically what your body needs. So like just add that extra chocolate bar, whatever it is to the conveyor belt when you're at the grocery store. It is 100 percent okay. Even without the scientific evidence, it would be okay. But like it's really, really fine now. The, the last thing I want to touch on is that there's a lot of talk about carbo loading, carbohydrate metabolism, and how, you know, we all talk about carbo loading and different, you know, how when you have really long races, you really want to carbo load like the week before or sometimes the day before. Um, that there has been some evidence showing that different phases of the cycle can make carbo loading most more effective or less effective, specifically during the luteal phase of the cycle, the carbo loading where you're ingesting a higher amount of carbohydrates, like before the run could be more effective. Whereas in the follicular phase, that really short-term carbohydrate loading might be less effective because your body is a little bit less likely to um, basically store those into the muscles right away. They're going to store them somewhere else, mainly in the, um, the uterine lining in that area, because they want to, you know, be able to have a baby. Um, but basically (laughs) if you're in a filter phase, it's still good to carbo load in the sense that you still need to meet your caloric demand and your, your carbohydrate needs over each day, because that will still accumulate as muscle glycogen. However, the short term, maybe like big boost in carbohydrate to like load for a run might not be as effective in that time. And again, this is all based off studies that are not, there's not a ton of studies out in this yet, but I do think this paper does a really good way of just like talking about where the science is, what it could mean for future, you know, female nutrition practices and like where we need to dive in more. And so, yeah, check that article out, um, check the paper out. I think it's really interesting. Next week, we'll talk about a little bit of the menopausal um, pieces of the paper that I think are really interesting. And then some of the stuff around sleep, because I think both of yeah. those were pretty cool in the paper. Uh, it'll be on freetrail.com. You can find the article there. Yeah. And we want, I was gonna say there's, um, we've got another article that I know that Hillary had tagged at some, a, a couple weeks ago that will, I think maybe one of our next, um, podcasts in general, just kind of be a deep dive into a bunch of this stuff to talk about sleep and recovery and how yeah. those things are associated with different, how, how they can be affected rather by different phases of your menstrual cycle. Yeah. The only other thing I wanted to ask Keely, maybe this is just a tease of the article is like in, in the article itself, does it differentiate between the types of female athletes? Like, you know, endurance versus not. So it does for some of the different categories, obviously female athlete science is 
lacking enough, but yeah, like yeah. in terms of protein metabolism and protein needs, it does differentiate between like endurance athlete, strength athlete, menopausal athlete, and then like mix hybrid athlete kind of, nice. um, but it does not do that for all different right. realms of it because there's just not the data to support it. But yeah, in some of the sections, there definitely are. Nice. Yeah. Nick. We love it. And yeah, we'll do some deep dive, I think, podcasts coming up into some of these like specific niche um, topics because we've been flagging them and tagging them um, mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks. So we're going to do a quick results before we dive into um, the interview we have with Callie Vincent. And that was Kona happened over the weekend. And this is the first time that the men's race and women's race, not only were they on separate days, but they were separate months and separate locations. So the men's world championship race was held in Nice a month ago. Mm-hmm. And then this weekend, the women competed in Kona. Next year, they'll flip-flop. The women will be in Nice and the men will be in Kona. Um, mm-hmm. And pe- there's a lot of speculation going in. Like, would this be, would this feel good? Would the, would there be as much money there? Would there be as much um, sponsorship dollars there, et cetera? Would, would people invest in the women's only event as strongly as they invested in the men's event in Nice or in the combined event in years past? I did just did just see an excerpt of an interview with the women's winner, Lucy Charles Barclay, um, really close to post race. Like she's still got, you know, like the lay, like the lays on around her neck and on her on her hat. And she's talking about how it it felt really positive. It felt really cool to have a day that was all about them where they weren't overshadowed by anyone, where they weren't where, where the men weren't, you know, quote unquote, stealing the limelight. And I think that that like while we're still waiting to see the numbers from this event. I think that from talking to women who raced or ahead of the race, like Lucy Bartholomew's post ahead of the race, talking about like, there are sisters, mothers, aunts, you know, (laughs) kids here, like just like talking about the vibe and the energy of race week seems like it was very positive for it being a women's only event. So Mm -hmm. time will tell, but that seemed to, it definitely had mixed um, reviews, mixed responses from people going into it. And I'm just Mm -hmm. curious to see what the numbers actually say. Yeah. Coming out of it. But it was cool. Like the coverage was amazing. Yeah. It was really cool to follow along. Yeah. I got to sit there and watch it with the Hemmings with Tabor and Eli. <laughs> Eli being a former, former triathlete. Mm-hmm. And he actually knew um the American uh Taylor Nib who ended up hanging on for fourth place. They kept calling her the iron rookie <laughs> in the race. Her longest race before this was a or her longest run before this was only an 18 miler. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's because she's on the Olympic distance triathlon team. Mm-hmm. She'll be going to Paris for the for for the U.S. on the Olympic triathlon team. So this is a big, uh, big endurance jump for her. Winning though was Lucy Charles Barclay. Took the win mm-hmm. in eight twenty four thirty one. She's been the runner up here like I think three times. Yeah. I could be wrong on that. Like it's a lot. Like she's been the runner up a lot, and she's had a ton of injury hurdles as well. Mm-hmm. She's had a number of stress fractures. Has gone kind of through the health the health gamut there. So I think it emotionally. It seemed to really um, affect her after the race. Uh, Pre-race, they had asked her, oh, you know, we heard if you win, your significant other said you could get a new dog, like another dog. (laughs) And they asked her about it after the race. And she goes, you know what? I'm just so happy to actually finally get this win that I like want for nothing right now, which is really cool. And I then, think that's she's oh, she was like one of the first well since I think for a really long time that she won from like the gun to the tape. So yeah, she led really wire cool. to wire. She yeah. came out of the water first and mm-hmm. didn't look back. Yeah. Um yeah, it was really, really impressive. Kind of opposite to that, the German yeah. athlete who finished second on a hog um is a really, <laughs> really good runner and watching her run you could tell some of the other athletes were starting to get that like um center of mass sway that mm-hmm. you can see like their hips are starting to sway a bit more like their torsos are starting to sway a bit more and on a hog no sway 
That mm-hmm. woman was a machine, like a German machine. And she mm-hmm. broke the run course record actually for women there. She went mm-hmm. under 250 and ran a 248 marathon wow. at the end of um end of the Ironman running. Um, I think her total time on course was 82733. So she brought down the gap from like 10 minutes down to three minutes during wow. the um during the run leg, um, closing on Lucy and moving up to second um throughout the course of the run. Uh Fellow German athlete Laura Philip finished third, also running a very strong race um, with U.S. and uh, U.S.-based Kona rookie Taylor Nib kind of fading back. She came off the bike in second and then faded on the run a bit, but hung in there and got it done. And then um, last year's champion and mom Chelsea Sidaro finished sixth. And I think that after the year she's had, after winning last year, and I think kind of dealing with the emotions that come post such a big career highlight and big career win um it's cool to see her back and then we had to give a shoot a shout out to our lucy b the other lucy b um finishing her utmb kona double running um running a 330 marathon for her run leg and i think her total cumulative time was 10 43 finishing in like i think she was in the overall like 215th or something mm-hmm. um like really like a very cool performance from Lucy B. So hopefully she's tired and happy and <laughs> filled with uh, a lot of love and joy after a very big summer and fall. Yeah. Of yeah. Holy yeah. smokes. Yeah. That was, that was my, uh, my Kona, my professional Kona analysis <laughs> takeaway. Um, but I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Keely, one of your ultra teammates and Hillary, one of your Boulder training homies, Miss mm-hmm. Amanda Basham. Woo-hoo. <laughs> um, that's I think the biggest Kodiak shout out we're gonna give. Kodiak by UTMB was this past weekend. I had to drop out of that race due to injury, but I did get to share some miles with Amanda. And um, seeing her post afterwards brought like a bunch of emotions up, you know, just talking about how she's coming to racing kind of postpartum, like not fit enough for the effort and then fit enough, but not, you know, something else was going awry, having GI issues and and pelvic issues post postpartum on her return to run and finally coming into this race with like enough fitness and also kind of like the smarts about her to, to be really methodical with her race strategy um, and run a really strong race from start to finish was really, really cool to see. And I'm, I'm just thrilled for her. Um, I wish that I'd gotten to share more time with her over the course of the day, but um, we did get to share some really special moments in the first, the first half of the race. And um, yeah, it was just, I was so stoked. That was her, her vacation from (laughs) being a mom this weekend was going to, going to Kodiak by herself and running for 11 hours on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. It was so great. I love watching her do it. (laughs) Yeah. So Amanda Basham, I don't know that you're listening to this, but just a big shout out to say that we love you. (laughs) Hillary will make sure of it. Um, (laughs) Final bit of uh, race news is Moab 240. As of this recording, it's Monday afternoon um, here. Though the men have finished up the podium, the podium men have finished up. The the podium women are still out there um, in battle. Sally McRae is working hard to finish up her, I hope, final 200 mile race of the season um she i think is she's well past the 200 mile mark she's at like 220 miles right now um currently in the lead billy yang get this woman to the finish line um we can't and i think that we were kind of talking before we hit record that we want to get sally on the pod so this is our official invite to sally to come on the pod and we'll uh we'll shoot her a text after this as well once she's got her wits back about her um post 200 mile race but the men's race was insane they finished this morning jesse haynes and jeff pelletier 
battled thing, this out and like neck neck and neck is the closest finish I think they've ever had. And it was about 35 minutes um, between the two of them when they finally made it around the 240 mile course. So I can hardly imagine racing for a hundred miles, let alone 240 <laughs> miles of neck to neck sprinting it out competition. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like uh, we talked to our, our interview E this week to Callie about 240 mile races. And I will reiterate what I said to her in that I have no desire to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She actually ran Moab 240 yeah. this time last year. And she, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit in the interview too, but she is about to set out um, in November. So if you are looking to assist someone in the Arizona, the Phoenix area in November, um, Callie will be taking on a FKT that I think is about 250 miles hmm. long that kind of circumnavigates the whole Phoenix foothills area. Crazy. Woof. Okay. Before <laughs> we dive into that interview, though, we have to give another quick shout out to a sponsor that's been around with us. They super, super speed delivered me some race nutrition to take with me to Kodiak. That, was, that is the folks over at the feed. Um, actually, okay, here's a feed story. Mm-hmm. I'm in the start line. It's dark. A gentleman reaches over and like taps me on the shoulder and he says, Corinne, I have my Trail Society water bottle at the finish line and you know how we could put our names on it. And I said, yeah. And he said, I put, hey, hi, hello on mine. <laughs> and I got oh, to share a couple cute. miles with him on the road early on and then he dropped me. Um, but it was really, really cool. Um, he's a California guy. Um, and it was just, it was super fun to have that moment. So I maybe you're listening to this. It was really fun to get to share those those little moments with you at the start. <laughs> and then on that dirt road section before we all lost our minds. But yeah, so again, that's those are the folks over at the feed www.thefeed.com slash trail society there you can get a 15 dollars credit to spend quarterly so 60 dollars over the course of the year who has gotten some good feed some good feed boxes or good feed snacks recently yeah i've been trying out some new stuff lately which has been fun this new this new brand is called velo forte um yeah it's actually really good fancy it is, but it's like, it's, it's like all, um, just real food. And I mean, it's, I think Velo, obviously it's like for, for bike, but some of it would be really good, um, running. They make these little, um, apple cinnamon chews. That it's like a different taste profile. So I actually really liked them. They're really like marshmallow things for a run. Mm-hmm. Um, the bars I think are a little bit heavy for running, but maybe for like later in, you know, a 200 mile race or like a hundred mile race, but it's all like really just like whole food ingredients. And yeah, I've been trying that out on some of the drink mixes and it's actually it's really good. So I don't know. I've just been trying some new things that I haven't tried to see if I can like add to my nutrition repertoire. Mm-hmm. I have it. a hack for everyone. Yeah. So if you are unabashedly obsessed with pumpkin flavored things like <laughs> me and cinnamon and apple, if you type in seasonal into the search bar, we'll bring up all their seasonal flavors and there are like, there's pumpkin spice goo on here. Then there's like pumpkin spice waffles. There's apple cinnamon things. There's a different holiday blend for coffee. It is literally so basic, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh, just a bunch of basic girls on the podcast. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll reiterate that, I guess. Yeah, we're we're a little bit basic, but I would need some pumpkin spice waffles in my life, yeah, I think. Do. I'm going on the feed.com. <laughs> as soon as we were done recording today, <laughs> putting that in my cart stat. Um, well, sweet. Again, if you want, if you want to try the feed out, put together your own snack box, you're going to go over to www.thefeed.com slash trail society. Get that free credit. Get those free waffles. Pumpkin, pumpkin spice. 
We got months mm. of pumpkin spice left. Don't take yeah. that away from me. <laughs> okay. So we've got to dive into the interview. It's amazing. I think uh, Keely and I were like beaming from ear to ear, just like grinning like absolute fools throughout the entire thing. It's with the one and only Kaylee Vincent. Um, she's a body positivity advocate, indigenous runner based in Arizona. Um, in her words, she's worked in marketing for forever, um, starting her career over in Chicago and still working for that same company, um, but remotely based in the Arizona area. And she is legitimately one of my favorite follows on <laughs> Instagram because she is so darn funny so if you're not following her for the positivity and the thoughtfulness you got to follow her for her comedy genius because she (laughs) is hilarious and we talk about a bunch of that today as well um we have to make one quick note before we start and that is that the interview got a little spicy we definitely dropped a few curse words here and there so if you're listening with young listeners that's just a heads up um i think otherwise it's fairly pg and fairly family friendly so without further ado we'll step out of the way and hear from callie herself I'm Callie Vinson, a uh, trail ultra runner, body positivity and diversity advocate, um, and a dog mom to my geriatric rescue pup named Cloudy Brown, who's napping around the corner. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. How old? He's 14 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He's an old guy. That's yeah. amazing. Super old guy. And he's, he's still... Uh, still kicking it. Loves chasing the laser pointer every night around the house. So keeping him as active oh and gosh. just living the best life possible. He got to go to flag so this weekend. So he's loving it. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. Yeah. Dogs make the world go round. I feel like they make everything I know. so much better. Um, yeah, big dog fan over here. I recently inherited a second, which I don't know if I'm a two dog fan yet, but I'm getting there, but it's a lot more work than one. <laughs> For our cat loving audience, this is not an anti-cat show, no. but no. but we all happen to be uh be dog. I don't know if we're dog owners or dog acquaintances or dog best friends, whatever it is, but yeah, we're <laughs> mine's upstairs, I think on our bed sleeping right now comfortably, safely yeah. by herself, far yeah. away from everyone else. Yeah. Just yeah. yeah. Well, dogs aside, we know that that's your current situation, but let's start with the beginning for you and have you tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you grew up and what your childhood was kind of like and how you kind of got to here. Yeah. So I can give you a quick rundown. I was born and raised in Florida, um, Orlando, because my dad worked for Disney for 20 years as a landscape architect. So I guess that's where I got my uh, creative jeans from. Um, but after Florida, I escaped and went to Savannah, Georgia, which is where I went to art school. And I stayed there, got my master's there. And then I got an internship out of out of school in Chicago. So I packed my suitcases, went to Chicago. Um, up until this point, just hated running, never was a runner. Um, actually growing up, I played sports only because they required the least amount of running. So I was a soccer player, but I was always the goalie because you got to stand in the back and just kick the ball out of the goal. Um, and then I got really into rowing because you're in a boat. So, of course, you can't run in a boat. Um, but I love that. I actually almost went to Berkeley um, being recruited for their crew team. But last minute, decided I'm going to go to art school and, and fuck that. So went to Chicago uh, with an internship and... I went there because I just had such big dreams I wanted to go after. Like I I landed this internship in advertising. Um, I wanted to work that like madman lifestyle and I still do. Um, But with that, I realized that like because of this lifestyle that I adapted in art school, just very unhealthy lifestyle, eating uh, just 
just bad eating habits, um, bad relationship with food, terrible relationship with food in my body. Um, but when I moved to Chicago and I realized all these dreams that I wanted to go after and I couldn't, that was um, one of the little red flags that went off. But I always tell people it was the moment that one of my friends asked me to go to brunch and I Googled it, of course, because I wanted to see where it was and I wanted to see what I was going to get before I even got there. Um, and he said, oh yeah, it's like down the street. It's like a mile away. We'll walk there. And that terrified me. I, there was absolutely no way that I could walk a mile to brunch. And that became the ultimate red flag that that flipped it for me and realized I got to do something. And it's funny because up until then, like doctors had been telling me, like, if you continue down this path, you're going to be staring down the barrel of an early death. But that was never the red flag. It was when I couldn't walk to brunch that I was like, oh shit, I've got to like really do something about this. So um, I started with small changes, tiny little changes. Um, I started with just making my breakfast every day. Um, and once I did that for two weeks, then it became my lunch, then it became my dinner. Um, and in that time, I got a gym membership because I, I figured out that's you know what people do when they want to live a healthier life. So I started going to the gym, doing the elliptical. Um, once I got comfortable with that, then one day I was like, okay, I'm getting in the swing of this thing. Maybe I can go after running, this thing that I've always hated to do. But I feel like if I could just conquer running, I felt like I could conquer anything. So that became like my mission. My blinders were put on. I was going after this goal of becoming a runner or just learning how to run. And I started with running around my block and just trying to do that nonstop. And it took a while, but mm -hmm. I finally did it. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to run one mile and then two miles, four, six, whatever. And one day I just went out and did a half marathon because I, I just wanted to go after the goal and see if I could do it. And I did it. And I went home and I had the biggest stack of pancakes and it was delightful. And I loved it. And I hated it at the same time. And then shortly after that, I was staying on the L going into work and the, the newspaper there is called the red eye. And on the cover, they were talking about the Chicago marathon. Cause it was like that, that Sunday. And in my mind, I was like, shit, there's no way I'll ever be able to do a marathon. But then my next thought was I have to do a marathon. So shortly after that, figured out how to get in through a charity in Chicago um, called team pause, part of um, a no kill animal shelter there got in, ran the 2016 Chicago marathon, and I was immediately hooked in running. But um, it was around that time too, that I hit my goal of 200 pounds loss. So in that journey of not being able to walk a mile to run a marathon, um, I, I guess I accomplished that as well. But that's, that's my journey in a nutshell. What do you think was the why was the brunch walk so pivotal? I know you said you were kind of ignoring all of the doctor's advice for so long. Like, why do you think something as simple as a brunch walk was what, what was like that pivotal moment for you? I think because I, in that moment, I saw this stark contrast between what my friend could do and what was mm -hmm. capable and what was so easy and just a, a normal thing to just walk to brunch. And then there was me who, in my mind, that just, it was going to be painful. It would felt impossible. And it was so limiting to, to just something that you should be able to just do, just go and walk to brunch in the city and it not be this moment that terrifies you or is like this traumatic moment. Um, I think it was just seeing that contrast. It was like, oh shit, I'm living this like completely different life. And it's limiting me so much to not just, you know, going to brunch, but who who else, you know, what else could possibly happen and, and find myself, oh, I can't do that because of this, or I can't do that because of this. So um, mm -hmm. I think it was, it was because of that, that it flipped it for me. Yeah. Yeah. And from that pivotal point on, you've gone through a very big change just in the last decade, you know, you go from 
not being able to walk a mile to now planning to do 240 miles. Um, and well, ran. So- she ran Moab 240. Like that's the jump. The jump is like <laughs> half marathon, marathon. Why not double it to a 50 mile? Why not double it to a hundred mile? Why not double it to Moab 240? Cause you know, that's like totally chill. And yes, no, we're going to talk about the FKT and at the, towards the end of this, ah, mm-hmm. that's, that's the jump. It's just like, yeah, the goal, the goal queen, the like <laughs> obsession with like, I don't know, let's do this next thing. Like that, mm-hmm. that stood out to me. And I think that's fascinating. Yeah. It's funny because in the beginning, and I don't know when this started, but maybe it was after the 50 mile where I was like, huh, this idea of like double or nothing, like, let's just go for it. And so after the Chicago marathon, I, I, uh, I realized that there was this thing called trail running and ultra running. And that blew my mind too, because growing up, I was always so outdoorsy. I loved being outside. I loved being in the dirt. I loved just running around barefoot and scaring my mom because I was always like pretending to like run away or like build a fort in the wilderness. And then, so after, you know, the marathon, I realized there's trail running and there's people who are just like running around outside for this long period of time in the woods or the desert or the mountains or wherever. I was like, this is like bridging my childhood with my adult passions all at once. And so it became this like eureka moment where I was like, maybe this is where I'm supposed to go. Um, And I also realized like running faster was never going to be a goal of mine. Like the idea was cool. Like, yeah, PR is great. That's I'm all for them. If you you do them, celebrate them all you want. But I don't know, for me, it was about going farther. And, Mm -hmm. And I don't think it was because it's like, oh, look how far I can run. But it was because of gain of this contrast where before I couldn't walk a mile to now I'm able to go 240 miles or hundred miles um, with my own two feet or with my own body. And this idea of getting to places that not many people can see, or you can only get there because you get there with your body. I think that became this like inspiration for me to see how far I can go on my own two feet. So yeah, it became this double or nothing from 50 to hundred to, to 50 or 240. <laughs> so, I don't oh, know what's gosh, next so after cool. that, but <laughs> yeah, does it go up from there? I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, on, on paper, it looks like a completely positive trajectory, right? Um, but I know that you had like just a very long journey with your body and running and fueling. And so, do you mind kind of talking us through that part of the journey where like you had to kind of come to terms with these things? Yeah. So, um, I guess specifically with fueling, I mean, for so long also, I just had a terrible relationship with food. And, you know, that's because of like, not only your upbringing, but like media too. Like, I I follow a couple people who talk about um, body positivity outside of the running realm. But they'll bring up like these 90s commercials that I remember. And one of them being like the special K diet. And it was like, eat, I don't know, two special K cereal breakfasts a day, and you'll lose this much weight. And there was a, I think it was Under Armour put out a commercial where it was like this guy with a, like a beer belly, like chasing himself down the road. And it was all about like running away from your like fatter self or something. And I think it was because I grew up, well, I think partly because it was, I was, grew up with these kinds of messages and these kind of like ideas of perfection based on how you look. I just, developed this very unhealthy relationship with food and that food was the enemy and to avoid it and to count your calories and to not eat out and to under fuel. Um, I mean, there was a point where 
I was eating way under what I should be eating for how far I was running every day. And I mean, it just equated to lots of injuries and um, just being sick a lot. So I got over that, but it, it was a long process of just learning this balance with food and with running. And I mean, I still have those um, just negative thoughts sometimes, but because I've, I guess I've learned to see them in a different way. Um, I've kind of developed, I guess, a healthy relationship with food, but I think I've been down every, you know, <laughs> bad fad diet or bad down every, like, I don't know, unhealthy eating lifestyle. And I don't know, there's a lot to unpack in that. <laughs> there's a lot like to been, unpack. <laughs> yeah. I've been down, uh, so many rabbit holes and the unhealthy food, or fueling department. But I think nowadays, and I think it was because, um, I started getting into the two hundreds where I, I learned like, no, you really like have to eat. I see Scott in the background. You like really have to eat, to, um, to do these kind of events. So you're, you're not going to get there if you're, you know, under, under fueling for multiple days in a row. And I feel like, you know, you're not alone in that at all. I find that a mm -hmm. lot of ultra and trail runners have trouble with fueling, right? Like I've had trouble with it in my own career. I've talked to tons of people who also had trouble with this and like, you know, it's wrapped up in all sorts of things to your oh. point. People get on all, all sorts of rabbit holes with fueling. Um, I wonder if similar to your mile walk to brunch, aha moment, did you have a similar one with fueling where you were able to be like, oh, the writing is on the wall. I have to change these practices. Or was it more of like a long-term like journey? I think it was more of a long-term journey. Um, there were just so many like little small moments leading up to getting into 100s and 200 milers um, where I would go for out for a run fasted and I didn't have a big dinner the night before. And then that run felt shitty. And I'm like, Oh, why is, why was that run so shitty? And I just felt like sluggish from, you know, mile one to six or whatever. And then there'd be another moment where like, I had a great dinner the night before or I ate my waffle before my run and that run felt great. And I'm like, huh, I wonder why that run <laughs> felt so good. Like, I just felt like I could just keep going. And I'm like, Duh, because I'm fueling myself and I'm not fasting before I run and I'm fueling during running. Um, I remember like when I was just getting started, um, getting into longer distances, but also like in a good spot with, um, like how, you know, with my, my, I guess, weight loss journey or health journey. Question that I had here, I was talking to an athlete of mine earlier who has gone through his own kind of mega weight loss journey when it comes to running being a part of that. Like, I remember like he had to size down in shoes because his shoes no longer fit him type of thing. Like lost a lot of weight in part of his like getting into trail and ultra journey. And he actually started working with a dietitian and counterintuitively for him, part of the recommendations were like, hey, like not only are there some macronutrient issues, like you need more protein. It was like, you actually just need to eat more. Like you're not eating yeah. enough to sustain, like you feel bad when you're training because you're under fueling. And I think for mm -hmm. him coming from this like weight loss journey, mm -hmm. like having to deal with that, I think is still very much a work in progress. And I'm wondering for yourself, like you've had this aha moment of like, wow, if I feel myself, I feel a lot better. But coming yeah. from a place of like, yeah, having like a massive weight loss journey. Like how have you, I guess, like put those two uh, in like opposing things together? It's, it's definitely, it was definitely a messy transition because I guess when your goal is to 
lose weight, but also up your mileage. It's this very weird balance of like, you're learning to eat within a deficit to know now you have to start eating more to, um, to fuel literally this new passion of running farther. And it's like this weird, look, you're just so conditioned. If you've been on this, like a weight loss journey for a while to always be in a deficit because it is a science when you get down to it and you you have to eat in a deficit to lose weight. But when you're trying to, I guess, up your mileage or you're trying to, I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess up your mileage, you, you have to eat more because your body needs more energy to, to output. So more energy has to be, you know, inputted. So it was a, it was definitely a messy transition of, um, being okay with that mentally and also learning what that actually means, like on a plate. Like I, for a long time, I've, I was very strict about weighing everything that I ate and not going to restaurants because I couldn't weigh what they were putting on my plate or I didn't know what ingredients they were using. Um, so there's a transition of being okay with not doing that anymore and not using my fitness pal and not counting my macros and not counting the calories and learning to listen to my body and listen to, Oh, I'm hungry right now. I should eat right now. Who cares if it's 10 30 and not lunchtime. Like if you're hungry right now, eat now, like it doesn't matter. You don't have to follow this like um, idea of eating three meals a day or whatever you can eat based on when you're, you're hungry. And that was a whole other like transition or, or learning process of learning to just be more um, intuitive with what I fueled with and when, and not following, you know, any kind of like idea of perfection, <laughs> what it should look like when you eat. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that it's a question. I feel like it's just kind of like a statement throwing it out into the ether is like, it feels like emotionally, I feel like emotionally, like that has to be the hardest part is like, it's not, it's not the rational. It's not the practical. It's like just emotionally, like making that tweak or adjustment to me would mm -hmm. seem like the biggest counterintuitive hurdle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not, it's not really a question. I just like, I, I feel that. And I feel like knowing people in our sport and having heard stories from many listeners and, and many people that we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, like I have to imagine that resonates independent of like what their own extreme of their personal experience has been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In that realm, in regards to the ultra and trail running community, have you found that the culture has been toxic at all in relation to food when things like, you know, really unhealthy foods are kind of prized as like rewards, quote unquote, for races? Um, like, how have you kind of faced that as you've been on your own journey? I guess for me, I've just tried to and that's, that's also been like a learning curve is just finding what works for me because in the, the beginning stage of my journey, I, I tried so many different like fad diets and I, I was mm -hmm. keto for a moment. I did the 21 day fix. I was, um, on, um, whole 30 and then strict paleo. So I, I thought for so long, like all these things were working for me, but what I found is none of them were sustainable for me. And I think that became a, a also another just pivotal moment of discovering that if a diet, if you can't see yourself doing that diet for the rest of your life, it's not going to work. It has to be sustainable for the rest of your life, or it has to be adaptable to the rest of your life. Um, and for some people, that's fine. Like they could do something for a little bit and then change and, and whatnot. But um, I, I feel like 
nowadays with just so many diets out there or so many people saying like, oh, this is the best way to fuel or this is the best way to fuel, which might be complete opposite. It's hard to know what, what's going to work for you until you try it and see if it works for your lifestyle, it works for um, your work or uh, your training. If you're, whether you're um, just training to have fun or if you're training for performance or if you're long distance or short distance, there's just, there's so many variables out there. And for me, um, I, I found that the trail ultra community is so much more accepting of like whatever works for you is fine because I don't know, maybe it's because the aid stations are just so fun sometimes, <laughs> but it's all about like snacking, snacking power out there on the trails and I'm all for it. So <laughs> um, for me, I, I found personally that the trail and ultra community is way more accepting um, and less toxic when it comes to, um, I guess, relationships with food. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess, Personally, I, I usually just kind of put my blinders on and, and work whatever is best for me. But that took a while to figure out. Um, I For so long, I always, 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 always had problems in races with my stomach, um, just like digestion issues every single time. Guaranteed, hands down, it was going to happen almost from start to finish. And that's kind of why I, I dropped out of Coca Dona is because I was having stomach issues. And what I didn't realize was, oh, you have to like really train with the food you're going to fuel with in a short training run, as well as your long training runs to be able to do the race with a fueling plan. That's not going to upset your stomach. And I started learning that as I was training for Moab. Oh, I have to, even if I'm going out for like a five mile run, I still got to train with the stuff that I'm planning to train with because your gut's got to train just as much as your legs do. And once I started learning that that was a thing, um, the long runs became better and less digestion issues and less stomach Mm -hmm. issues. Um, and also for so long, especially in the beginning stages of my running journey, um, it was almost like, I don't know. I almost had like prize in like how little I could eat or little I could drink on a run. Like I remember in Chicago, I could go for a 20 mile run and not have a thing and be like, I feel fine. I'm great. Good job. We did it. Fasted 20 mile run. That's crazy. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. <laughs> but nowadays, I don't know. I like, because now I, I'm, I'm not like that. And I don't do that. Um, I have uh, better race days. I have way less stomach issues, way less um, digestion issues. And even though I did have digestion issues from, almost from start to finish of Moab, like I had an all, all, um, I had a lot of motivation to just get it done and just, um, to get through it. But I will say I marked my territory across Moab <laughs> because the <laughs> stomach issues persisted. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And I feel like we've all been there where we've prided ourselves on running 20 miles plus and having nothing. Um, I'm with you. I feel like my post run treat for a while was a latte and it was like fasted for before <laughs> run nothing during yeah. the run. And then you can have a little latte and that's your morning. It's like, what is this? You're like, what am I doing? <laughs> I know. No I look back at like angry all day. Yeah. Oh my God. I remember going into the office and just being starving because I did like a 12 mile run that morning and just had my little egg muffins for breakfast and then a little, little yogurt for snack and my salad for lunch. And I would just be like, the like the worst foggy brain like no creative ideas were coming out of my brain that day because I could barely think and 
Yeah, I don't know why I did that to myself, but yeah, the the yeah. almond the almond moms did us dirty yes. on that one. We're all <laughs> yeah. we all remember yeah. the '90s, and it's just like, yeah, we've we're slowly breaking that cycle. Keely's now like a three breakfast a morning girl, so we've oh, yeah. we've, we've we've righted the ship. It's so funny. I told Scott about like the almond mom and he was like, what is that? And I was like, it's where you just have a, like a couple little almonds and that's your snack. And he was like, what? And I was like, oh my God, I feel almost ridiculous because I know that about 24 almonds is a serving of almonds. And I'm like, I should not know that. <laughs> get that, get that idea out of my brain. But I will also say that just being around Scott, who um, is like, you need to eat, like you doing these big runs and it's so important for like your training and your performance and um, like the energy that you're putting in, you're going to get that out. So you have to be eating a little bit more. And so he'll remind me like, you need to have a bigger breakfast. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. So yeah, you need those people in your life to hold you accountable. Yes. Even, if it's, even if it's just by example, it's like one of those things where it's like, I don't even have to say something sometimes. It's just right. like, mirroring good food habits goes mm -hmm. a long way. So we want to talk a little bit about your Instagram account because it's <laughs> amazing. Um, I feel like you guys have just been ending up in my For You page, apparently. Like I just realized that I wasn't following you or Scott, despite the fact that I like consume your content. Um, so that I was like, oh, must rectify this. Follow, follow. Um, but you're an amazing advocate on it for body positivity and acceptance and have really made it this big focus of yours, including breaking down barriers to entry into mm -hmm. the sport. And I'm wondering what for you has been some of the main messages you try to get out into the public via that space. Yeah, I think overall, like whatever the post is or whatever the video is, I want people to walk away with a feeling. Um because they've watched it. I want that feeling to be that they belong in the sport. Um, I think a lot of people, especially who are transitioning from road to trail or from shorter distance to long distance, they feel like that they have to look a certain way, or if they have to be this level of fitness to, to feel like they belong in the sport. And I, I don't want people to feel that at all. I want them to feel like you could be a total newcomer and come to a trail race and we're going to welcome you like you've been a part of this family forever. And I want people to realize how simple and how fun these kind of races can be because they are. I know for me, I still consider myself a terrible trail runner. I am awful. I am so clumsy. Like if there's a rock on the trail, I'm like, oh, slow down, everybody. We might trip. <laughs> like obviously speed is not my forte, but that's okay. It doesn't have to be. Like I think for a lot of people, especially like if you're not a leader, if you're not going after a podium and you're just wanting to go out there and have fun, like make it fun. Like I think this, this sport is just like fun is so like inherent to the sport because you're out in the wilderness and like very human things happen when you're out there, especially for hours at a time. And all these things are totally normal. And it might feel awkward, especially if you have no idea what's going on because you've never been to a trail race before. But um, I think I just like a big goal of mine is to just be more transparent or bring transparency to the sport um, that can feel so, I don't know, weird and, and, and different because it's not a main sport. Like you're never going to see it or maybe one day on ESPN, but I want people to realize that there's just so much more to the sport than what it seems or to make them feel like they belong um, no matter their pace or no matter their body type, age, nationality, ability, whatever. I think everyone has a place in running, especially trail and ultra running. Yeah. And I think like to your point, the fun parts of the race is what 
I think will bring more people into it, but it's like being able to embrace those and show those to other people is really important because most of the stories that get told are like the people who run super fast at Western States. And like, that is not really relatable to 99.999% of people. So <laughs> yeah. What have you found to be some of like the hardest parts of this advocacy work when you're trying to kind of spread these messages through the community? Um, Sometimes the hardest part is coming up with the message, <laughs> but sometimes that's the easiest because I'll be able to run myself and, you know, something will just kind of just pop into my head and I'll be like, oh, I want, I bet a lot of people go through this, or I bet a lot of people think this as well. And I'll jot it down on my phone or text Scott to remind myself later. Um, but I think one of the hardest parts has been like me healing myself through the messages I put out there. Like, I'm not perfect by any means. And I still have lots of work to do. I, I would like to consider myself a work in progress always because um, we can always get better at all facets. But I think the hardest part is just like been healing myself as well because I come from, I don't know, a broken broken family and uh, a lot of trauma in my, in my life from growing up and from recent years. And so I think sometimes those messages are just as much meant for me as they are for others. So sometimes they're yeah they're, have, you, have you felt that did you feel like you got to a point where you were able to share those messages because I know for for me I it took me a really long time to be able to share them because I was almost just embarrassed mm-hmm. and I think it was just very it was very clear to me in retrospect that I just was still not completely healed or even close to being wanting to be healed so mm-hmm. it was not able I was not able to share them do you feel like that's been a little bit of your journey as well yeah so um I think because I'm, I'm an introvert, I'm very introverted. And I also, at a point in my life, I had panic disorder where like any bit of anxiety would just escalate like on steroids. And I would almost be like paralyzed because I just like was having all these like just panicky, anxious thoughts and they would just kind of like take over and it would get really bad into the point where like I never went out or I was even afraid to just go like eat in a restaurant because I was too afraid of what people would think. And I, I realized I was getting to a place where I cared so much about what other people thought of me or like what they thought of me, like even just like running or what I looked like running or um, me eating if they were thinking, oh my gosh, she's eating so much or too little. And there were a couple moments in my life that made me realize how fragile life is that made me realize like, who gives a shit? We're all on this floating rock in the middle of outer space. Who knows how much time you have left? We had a one in like million, million, million chance of being born into the people that we are like, who cares? Like, just put that message out there because so many people are going through it. And like, even if it just helps like one person, I feel like that's enough. So, (laughs) but yeah, I feel like because I just had too many moments that made me realize how fragile life is. Like, I feel like putting those messages is so important uh, to the people who might need to hear them that day. So, Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think they're alone in this body image realm, even though so many people are struggling silently and they go through a lot of different feelings surrounding their view of their body. And they don't realize that having these undulations in mood and in feelings are totally normal. And I love that you're trying to normalize this and also create space for those thoughts and not thinking that, you know, all of these thoughts are failures. 
of mm-hmm. your more recent Insta posts was really funny because you were like, I don't know about you, but how my body looks fluctuates more frequently than gas prices down the street. And I mean, I can for sure relate. Me and Corinne joke about this on the podcast a lot. She's like, there's always like a couple days a month where I just absolutely hate myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, all jokes aside, um, like how do you embrace and handle the, those mental challenges where you do feel like you have all these conflicting thoughts going on? I think, I think over the past couple of years, I've just like, I don't know if trained myself, but I just am more aware of the thoughts that I have about myself and the thoughts that I have about my appearance whenever I look in a mirror. And every time I have maybe a negative thought, I try and counter that with a positive thought saying like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, do you see what you're doing these days? Do you see how far you've come? Do you see what your body is capable of doing? Do you realize what you couldn't do 10 years ago and what you're doing now? And so I I just kind of like counter those negative thoughts with more positive thoughts to remind myself that it's so much more about how we look or how my, how, I don't know, like uh, bloated my legs look that day because they had a hard run the day before or like how shitty I look because I'm tired from working so much or because I had a hard run or whatever. Like I try and think it's not about the way that I, that I look. It's more about like what I'm able to do and the time that I'm here to be able to do it. There's going to be a day when I can't go run 20 miles anymore. There's going to be a day where I can't go, uh, on my favorite trail because of whatever reason. And I try to remind myself like to just, enjoy and to savor every little moment that you have now to be able to do those things, regardless of what you look like now or five years ago, or what you're going to look like five years from now to just, to just love the moment that you're in and appreciate it, I guess. Yeah. And while I think, you know, on your Instagram page, we, it's, it's cool because we get those messages, but then we also get these like really hilarious like skits and <laughs> conversations that we've all totally had with ourselves or our partners or our running friends. And we really appreciate it. And if people are listening to this and are not following you, they should. This is my plug. Put, <laughs> pause, pause us, go to Instagram, follow Callie, and then you can, then you can come back. Maybe watch a reel or two and then come back. Um, but definitely but, come back. But de- yeah, definitely don't stop listening. Come back. We need all the minutes listened to. Um, helps us in the ratings. But it, they're really funny. And like you, you're clearly a very creative person. Um, and I'm just wondering if you can just like take us behind the scenes just for a second, as far as like, where does this all come from? Is this just like a constant scenario in your house where like there's little bits or like what, like what is going on versus like what we ultimately <laughs> see on Instagram? I think a lot of this is thanks to the 13 years that I've worked in advertising. Um, I'm a creative, if people didn't know, I'm a creative in um, for an ad agency back in Chicago. I still work for that ad, ad, ad agency. Um, and I started as a copywriter, but now I'm an associate creative director and I work on the Starbucks and Gerber account right now. So I worked on a lot of big brands. So I, I'm very heavily trained in vetting creative ideas. Um, so that maybe that helps. <laughs> But yeah, I've worked on McDonald's, Coors, uh, Procter & Gamble, a lot of big brands, but that's not my brag here. Um, so I, I'm just, I just like every day is up until, I mean, today from seven to three, it was all about just like brainstorming creative ideas. What's going to be the next creative campaign for Starbucks in the holiday season or next spring? We're in a new business pitch right now. So we're, you know, working on deck and we'll be working on it tonight. But um 
those behind the scenes of what does it take to come up with these ridiculous reels? Um, a lot of the ideas come from when I'm on a run or when I'm in the car with Scott and we're coming home from the trailhead and we'll talk about our runs and like something weird that happened or a thought that popped up. And then we'll look at each other and be like, is that a real, is that an idea? Like, is that something that people, a lot of people go through and we kind of vet it through each other now. So it's great to have someone to bounce ideas off with, but um, yeah, a lot of it comes from being on the run. And it's funny because when I was in Chicago, um, as a creative, what I would do to, to brainstorm about myself was to get on the L and just ride it and just be in this forward motion. Like just thinking of ideas, thinking of what's that campaign idea? What's a, a concept that we could pitch to the client. And there was something about this like forward motion. I don't know why there's gotta be some psychological science behind it, but that forward motion just helped me get to new fresh ideas quicker and leave the old shitty ideas in the dust. And so I don't know if it's like the same with going out on a run and just these, this again, forward motion and coming up with these creative ideas and just leaving the shitty ones in the dust. But um, yeah, a lot of them happens when I'm on the run and when you're on those highs or lows, sometimes when I'm in a shitty moment, I write that down, <laughs> but yeah, there's, a, there's a great porta potty. Yeah, uh, real for those of you who are... And that was an actual moment that happened. It was, I was crewing Scott at Leadville <laughs> and I, we were at the Twin Lakes aid station. And I mean, I was there for hours because it, you know, at Leadville, you're at Twin Lakes and then your runner goes out over Hope Pass and then comes back and there's no crew spots after Twin Lakes. So you're, everyone stays and parties in Twin Lakes. And I was in this porta potty like three times because <laughs> I had to pee and I was, you know, hydrating and I had to go on a run in between crew and him. And I was sitting there, I was like, God, the more that I get into this ultra running business, the more I'm in a porta potty. And I was like, I just want to warn people who are thinking about getting into ultra running that the more that you get into ultra running and the more miles you rack up, the more time you're going to be spending in a porta potty. Yeah, they're not inversely proportional. Um, so I guess my pitch to you is I would love a reel of you taking notes on your run of reels, like of ideas that just aren't going to make the cut. <laughs> just yeah. like, like, you know, like, okay, Siri, I need this note. And it's like, yeah. and you're like, is, you know, is this thing a horrible idea? And it's like all this, like this <laughs> list of just like asinine running thoughts that we have that are sometimes good and sometimes just really awful. But in the moment, they I have them. Feel I have brilliant. Them. I have yeah, a list. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how deep it goes, but it's in there. <laughs> yeah. For those of you listening to this, that was, a, we just saw an iPhone notes, notes scroll that just, I think Kept scrolled infinitely like infinitely and infinitely. I was going to yeah. say that's got to be people's like most intimate uh, thoughts is your notes on your Ooh, phone. Because, mine's brutal. Oh, there's some, there's some crazy stuff in there. I'll tell I'm not even going to share it, <laughs> but yeah. I want a reel with the crazy bad ideas of you taking those notes down and they're never going to become their own reels. I might have to pitch this to Scott. This could be a twofer where I get him in on it too. I'm into this. <laughs> I'm into this. I like it. That, that, that was my, that was my only ask. That's my only no, question. I like it. I love it. I'm all for it. <laughs> I know it's been fun because Scott, uh, he loved like people see him for running and being a very fast runner, but like running is just like a little tiny part of his life. What he also really loves is electronic music and comedy. And we're both like the exact same. Like I, mm. I've always loved comedy shows. I've tried to go as many comedy shows and I've always loved electronic music. So um, it kind of works in that whenever we're coming up with reels, we like them to be funny and we like them to just make people laugh and um, I don't know, get a joke out of them. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. Um, 
Speaking of films, which I guess it's not really your film that was directed, but it's a film directed by Jordan from Rising Hearts. Um, can you share a little bit about that film and just walk us through kind of what that narrative is? Yeah. So I guess the full film should be out soon. There's a yeah. I, I yeah. think it's coming out really soon. Yeah. Yeah. She um, she messaged me um, saying that they're going to have it, I believe, at the running event in Austin. So oh, cool. Going to actually debut there. But um, so, yeah, so it's a film um, to show, I guess how I started in my running journey and the struggles and um, all the, all the things that come with going from mile zero to training for a hundred. And that hundred happened to be Western States. And um, I got into Western States because of rising hearts and goo um, and a, a partnership with them. So I was extremely thankful for them to get me into Western States because I mean, 10 years ago, I had no idea what Western States was. And it became a dream as soon as I learned about trail and ultra running to one day get into this very iconic legendary race. And I was so thankful to, to partner with them to get into this race because there was so much purpose behind it too. It was all about raising awareness for not only body positivity, but indigenous runners. And there's so much to unpack there that we don't have to go into here, but um, a lot of it has to do with just the awareness of like where Western states happen and the word that they used to use on the banner and that's in the town of Olympic Valley is no longer there because it's a racial slur, but just bringing awareness to that and bringing awareness to the land that you're running on when you're at Western states and all these and every other race too, you know, not just Western states, but um, the film happened there. So it was about Western states, but it was, it was awesome to be a part of something that was a bigger purpose than just going out and running a hundred mile race. So. Oh yeah. And, and I feel like you got to hang out with Magda a lot through Goo. Mm -hmm. And I remember I met you at the training camp while you were with Magda, with Adam, we posed for a funny little photo. We're actually together. I saw that. (laughs) I love that that photo was picked up. So funny. Me too. It's like an iPhone photo of the four of us we've just met. (laughs) Oh my God. That was so um, Anyone out there who's never done the training camp, you like, I hope people know that you don't have to be in Western States to go to the Western State training camp. Right. And it's so fun and it's so magical. And you get to do the last 70 miles of the course. And I absolutely loved it because I got to see the last 70 miles of the course and get to experience it and that magic and see you and so many other people. And on the first day, no, the second day, because that was the barbecue day. Yeah. Um, Magda was there and she ran me in for the finish. And I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. A Western (laughs) stage champion, like running with me, my slow ass up this hill. (laughs) And it was so fun. And yeah, so I, I, I would pitch running that training camp to anybody and I'm hoping to be there back there next year. So. Oh, very fun. Yeah. And I feel like Magda running with you just embodies in my mind, the culture of trail running and hopefully like, you know, yeah. Um, how would you mind talking about Western States though? Like, how did you feel for that race and kind of what happened there? Yeah. So I went into Western States with a lot of hope. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I had a great coach So Scott, he actually coached me for it. And the year before he placed 10th. So I was like, okay, he knows what he's doing. Um, and like, it was just awesome. The leak, the week leading up to it and getting to race morning and then race morning comes. And so, like I mentioned before, I'm a terrible trail runner. I'm so bad. 
I'm so clumsy. I like to call myself a newborn giraffe because I'm also just very tall and I don't know how to use my limbs, but we try. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know what to do, but we're just doing it. So yeah. Uh, if people didn't know, there was a shit ton of ice and snow on the course this year for the first uh, 20 or so miles. And I'm so if it were perfect conditions with nice like dirt and rocks to run on, I think I might have had a chance. But because of the ice and the snow, like I fell so much. Um, I slid on my butt so much. My hip was bruised for like two weeks after that, because I mean, it wasn't like just flat snow and ice that you were cruising on. It was a lot of this going on. So every time I got to one of these, I had to slide down and then hopefully not slide off the mountain and then climb up the top and then hopefully not slide down the mountain. Um, so I ended up missing the cutoff very early in the race because I just could not get any momentum whatsoever. Um, but I was totally okay with it because like how often do you get to tow that starting line? Like even that in itself was amazing <laughs> and being there that week was amazing. Um, and I just also learned that again, I'm just very terrible at running on snow. So <laughs> it was good to just confirm yeah. with myself. You don't <laughs> have mean, a lot of snow to practice on in Arizona. No, I don't have a lot, but I had a lot of heat training. I will say. There you go. You would have crushed that. it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like after the race, I tried to emphasize to people how much snow there was and it's so hard to put into words. <laughs> oh my God. I knew, I knew it was going to be a shit show, um, at training camp because even mm -hmm. at training camp, like we started 30 miles in and when we got off the bus to start that first day, I mean, the snow was 15 feet high. It definitely went over the, the school bus <laughs> and yeah. we did a lot of running that first day in the snow. And I was just like, Oh God, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> I did almost actually fall off the mountain on the first day at Robinson flat. So good times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really hard. So kudos to you for even going on it. <clears throat> yeah, it's hard too because you can't have spikes or poles, and right. uh, mm -hmm. I feel like that would have helped. But I know that's part of the rules. So yeah, yeah. Well, if it makes you feel better, I also flailed around like a baby giraffe. It was it was a tough, a tough one. Yeah, but we know you can do hard things. So maybe not snow related. But you've completed mob 240, and now you have a 250 mile FKT in the works coming up soon. Um, yes. So, can you tell us what you've planned? Yeah, so I'm gonna go after the Maricopa Loop Trail uh, here in Phoenix. It's a 250 mile ish loop that goes around the valley, as we call it. And I'm planning to start that November 22nd and go hopefully under 100 hours. That's my goal. The current record is 109 hours and I did Moab in 109 hours. So this will be, um, just faster than that. <laughs> okay. What kind well, of, hopefully, I was gonna say, hopefully you leave less of yourself, um, yes. oh my from, God. A, from a marking trail. standpoint on the trail. So that, <laughs> that will, that will gain, that will give you hours back. Exactly. I, uh, I really hope so. <laughs> there, I will say that I bonded a lot with my pacer and Scott during that because they were, they were both pacing me um for it so we've yeah. all been there i like yeah. tell the story about how my then friend now coach had to hold my hands at leadville for me to go to the bathroom <laughs> because my quads were so shot it was my first ever hundred that i couldn't squat anymore oh, no. and so adam legit would hold my hands so that i could like as like assume a squatting position so it's like <laughs> this is ultra running like we're breaking down the barriers of how That's weird it gets saying. out there i can't tell you how many people have messaged me saying like wait do you like go to the bathroom outside or are there porta potties and i'm like 
honey, Ooh. boo. Um, <laughs> there, are, there are no porta potties out there. <laughs> you might get it at the start finish. You might get it at a major trailhead, but <laughs> so I try to make it as uh, yeah real as possible because it gets very real out there. So, you oh my know. gosh, totally. But yeah. What uh, we have a couple just like last sharpshooter questions. Um, in your 250 mile FKT, this is kind of a, a goofy one. What is going to be like some of your staple snacks that you have out on the course and like food that you're looking forward to out there? So I know like the baseline who nutrition, I'm going to be relying on goo roctane. Cause I, I also found out that I'm so terrible at chewing foods, um, or just like swallowing whole foods during big run. So I'm going to depend on liquid calories for a lot of it. I also love the waffles, So I'll be doing a lot of that, but otherwise I'm so, I guess, militant when it comes to like fueling with real food on, on big efforts like this. So I'll also be having some plain, thick oatmeal, which I actually just, I do thoroughly enjoy it. <laughs> I can eat plain, just like bland ass oatmeal all day long and be totally <laughs> fine with it. <laughs> or I love mashed potatoes. Um, that was one thing that Scott brought to me during Coca Dona. He, he texted me and he was like, can I get you anything for this aid station? I'm like, I don't know. Nothing sounds good. I can't keep anything in. It's not going well. He was like, okay, I'll get things from the grocery store. And he happened to get like a pre-made package of like butter mashed potatoes mm. and just hit the spot. Absolutely loved it. Um, so now I eat a lot of like pre-made mashed potatoes like that. I have no problem <laughs> also with like the instant flake mashed potatoes. Those are also really good, especially if you're doing like a backpacking trip because it's like no weight at all. And you just have to add some water and flavor, but do love that. And I also love, um, I don't know. I love a good sandwich. So I'm, I'm going to try and get some people to bring me some sandwiches on the run when it's like time to have like a real meal or something. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, otherwise, yeah, those are my staples, I guess. Yeah. I've become a top ramen fan in these mm -hmm. long, long efforts because it's like anything it's like warm or soft. It's like, I've, I've actually, I've crewed Moab 240 before and weirdly oatmeal was like the thing that would go down for that athlete as well because it's like it's soft because you're just so yeah. you can't chew anymore for sure no. and your throat hurts after it Tahoe does. I had like sores on my tongue because I couldn't eat for forever and I was just like sucking on gummy candies to get through the night at one point because I was like I'm tricking my brain into thinking there's sugar yeah. in my system it's yeah. so logical at best. Yeah, you have to do some weird stuff to to help your brain out in those situations, especially when the lack of sleep is an issue. But yeah, the 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 achy throat is definitely a thing. I felt that for sure in Cocodona and Moab. You just get so tired of chewing stuff, especially when it's pretty sugary or tangy. So yeah, I like to contrast that with some some bland ass food. When in time and space is your FKT attempt going down for those who will be listening to this interview come the 24th? So November 22nd okay. is when I'll go after it. <laughs> so People exciting. have, have a month to cheer you on. That's so yeah. exciting. Month. Yeah. And I, at first I was thinking I'm going to, I was going to do this unsupported, but this is a very hard loop to do unsupported because there's, there's no water. 
There's right. no water out here. And you're in Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, if I'm going to do this supported, like hopping into gas stations, I might as well do it supported and get like whoever wants to come out and help. So totally. I've had a ton of people email me saying I'm willing to help. So I've gotten uh, a Google Doc together and an Excel sheet trying to organize the help across the loop. So um, yeah, people oh, want to come out and either just cheer or crew or pace or whatever. They're all more than welcome to. I want this to be more about, not about me, I guess. I want this to be about the trail community come to, coming together and the power that that has. So, Oh, that'll be so fun. We will be all cheering for you. And hopefully all the Trail Society fans are also cheering for you and can come out and support you, whoever lives in Phoenix. Um, so before we sign off, we have one more question. And it's just kind of reflecting on everything you've been through. What is one thing you would tell your younger self now? Hmm. If I could go back and tell my younger self something, I think it would be to believe in yourself. I, like I said, I was so introverted and had very low self-esteem, absolutely no confidence. And anytime I had a, a thought of like going after something that felt impossible, it was just immediately backed with, there's no way that can happen. That's impossible. You're this kind of person. You're not able to do this because of this, this, and this. And so if I could go back and say, would you just stop that and just believe in yourself and go after it? Because again, you're just on this floating rock in the middle of outer space and no one cares except for their own self. So just go after whatever makes you happy and just do it because why not? Yeah, we're all on this flying rock. I really like how you put that. <laughs> it's so true. I don't know. I forgot really the name is. of the comedian, but he, was, he had a bit where... He was saying, like, if you think you're in America, zoom out. <laughs> like, you are on a floating <laughs> rock in the middle of nothingness. And it's so true. And what I love about that is it's so humbling. And it just, it puts yourself, it puts you in a in your place in a good way. Like, it yeah, makes it's perspective. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. It makes you just so much. What is going on up there? It just makes you so much more aware of, oh, big stretch. Of, like the reality of where we are and what we're doing and the rules that we created by who, however many years ago. And it's like, no, make your own rules because who cares? I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on the show, Callie. We had a great yeah. time chatting with yeah. you. We're so thank excited you. for you for your FKT. Yes. Thank you. I know. It's and then be so cool. Possibly a month after that, going after a 48 hour um, race the, across the years here on a, Wow. <laughs> well, that's so, how you do that's how you do more as you find these other crazy avenues to add to your repertoire yeah. those are not for me i'll leave those to you <laughs> <laughs> i told you she was funny right like Callie is a funny lady and i cannot wait to follow along with her fkt that she'll be embarking on on November 22nd. So again, if you're in the Phoenix area and you want to help a girl out, go over to her Instagram, you slide into those DMs. Um, I'm sure she would love the emotional or otherwise support. She did say that she had thought about doing it like unsupported or self-supported and realized that that was just not not going to be in the cards. So mm -hmm. um, I, she may be looking for hands, helping hands. If you're in the area, please reach out to her. But phenomenal person. She can come back any day. Yeah. And her secondary goal was to make it like a community run to make it embody the community of trail running, which is really special. Yeah. So if you're not following her on Instagram, 
I suggest going and doing that right now. Again, pause, go follow, and then come back to us. Um, but to end things today, we got to give a shout out to the, our society slam folks. You all have been sliding into our personal um, inboxes and into the Trail Society inbox as well. Um, Keely, I know that you pulled one specifically from a fan of the pod. You want to give her a shout out? Yeah. So we have a fan of the pod named Laurel who let me know about a race that she completed this last weekend. It's a local race in Western North Carolina and it's called the Naturalist 50K. And Laurel took first place and then top three ladies in general were all under the old course record and they all were in the top 10. So (laughs) a bunch of awesome ladies just crushing it. She said it was a beautiful display of three women pushing each other, sharing miles and encouraging each other out of the course, out on the course, which resulted in a spectacular finish and showing of female endurance. And so she had a pretty special day out there winning, but she said she couldn't have done it without the other ladies and felt like there was just such camaraderie out there for the women in general, just to keep pushing each other and get them, reach them, reach new heights together. I love that. I mentioned that a bunch of you came up to me at Kodiak and and told us you love the pod, including during the race, like on this out and back section, they'd be like, I'd be like, yeah, you're doing great. And they'd be like, I love the pod. And we'd like run (laughs) past each other. So that was, it was a lot of really special moments. Got to, got to give a lot of really good high fives, including once I dropped out and the women kept coming into the aid station while I was waiting for a ride out of there. And they'd see me and be like, no, and I'd be like, it's okay. I'm fine. You're going to crush this next section. And I would like, was it helping take race vests off people and put new vests on them? Just became the aid station helper. Um, <laughs> but uh, one shout out that came into my Instagram was really sweet from the shop manager over at BP Runco and said, sorry about your race, but wanted to say hi. And thank you for all that you do for the sport with Trail Society and everything else. I was too tired and starstruck to approach. Never be too tired or starstruck. You're allowed to be too tired. <laughs> You're never allowed to be too starstruck because I am, I swear, as we just said, very basic. Um, <laughs> so uh, never, never shy away from coming up and say hi. I give hugs readily, though. So you've been warned <laughs> if you don't want a hug, then avoid me. But otherwise, uh, yeah, please say hi. The next thing I'll be at is Ultra Trail Cape Town. So those of you over in the Cape Town area, come find me. I'll be trying to run the 100K there. That, that's my reattempt in six weeks. Does not has nothing to do with UTMB, but I'll be there. Um, running and smiling my way through Cape Town. So come say hi. No starstruckness allowed. <laughs> Hillary, what do you have for us? Well, I know just from being in Cape Town last year, there's some people there that really want to meet you, Corinne. So that'll be good. Um, but uh, I also got some uh, shout outs in Ireland of people like in the pot over there too. So that was awesome. Um, but also for the, the Trail 101, it seemed like you guys liked that episode. So um, yeah, if everyone continues to kind of pop some more questions in the in our in our um, Trail Society Instagram, we can do another episode. So we had another Trail 101 question. So winter trail running gear must-haves. Um, I realize you might not be able to speak specifically about brands, but any advice for, runner, for running in freezing temps, specifically footwear, um, socks and spikes? Um, they live in the Ontario area. So it's a really cold winter. Um, I know I will say, and maybe like, I mean, I think micro spikes of, I literally have three different kinds, like the, the micro nano and what is it? Something else, but basically just three different lengths of micro spikes. It could be good on different, um, scenarios and, um, ones that aren't so high. So I don't twist my ankle, but, um, and I actually haven't tried this out, but I bought this because Adam, um, St. Pierre told me about this heated socks. <laughs> I'm sure Corinne, you know about this from cross country skiing, but, um, if it's really cold, uh, that could make a difference. Although you don't, you want a balance of heat, but not sweat, because if you sweat, then 
it gets icy and you do not want that because it'll just make things more cold. So. Yeah. And then specific, specific piece of advice here, go back and listen to episode 39. While we do talk Mm. about doping and contract season, we also talk about tips and tricks for training in cold weather. And I think we give a bunch of really interesting kind of feedback in that um, episode specifically. So if you're looking for specific cold weather tips, episode 39, go back in the archives and find that one. But yeah, I'm all about um, in the wet in particular, I'm all about wool because wool stays warm even when it's wet. Mm -hmm. Um, So a good wool base layer. Um, Sometimes I'll even like if it's raining and I know I'm going to get too hot in in a good like rain jacket. I will even opt for like a wool long sleeve because I know it's going to get wet, but it's going to keep me warm throughout the course of that run and then change immediately afterwards because otherwise my hands don't function and your keely and your lips turn blue just sitting here. So, and and, and that's another thing too. And I think we talked about that in episode 39 is that like, there is, there is a too cold, like you don't need to run outside when it's really cold. When it's really, really, really cold. We're talking, I mean, you're in Canada. So we're talking like probably like more in like the negative 20 range in the U S negative 40 or not negative 40, not negative 40, negative four, negative 40 is where Celsius and Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, come together. Exactly. We don't no want one's that. going outside then, but negative 20 Celsius, negative four Fahrenheit when it's colder than that there's really no reason to be exercising outside. Like that's like, that's a good rest day. That's a good wait until the temperatures warm up moment. That is a, a move it to the treadmill day. That is a keep it very short day and wear a lot of clothing day. Um, Just because like there's, you're at risk for frostbite and frost nip. You're at risk for effect, actually hurting your corneas of your eyes. You're at risk for um, doing damage to your um, respiratory system, your lungs and your bronchioles don't want to be that cold and dry. So there's um, lots of reasons to not exercise when it's too, too, too cold. But I do know that there are parts of the country, parts of North America and elsewhere where it is that cold for weeks at a time. I grew up in Northern Wisconsin. We didn't have school sometimes for a week because it was too cold during the buses. So I feel you on that one. But we also want to keep you safe and healthy and well protected from the elements. So Go listen to episode 40 or 39. And uh, I like this question. So please keep sliding into our DMs and maybe we'll come up with some seasonal themes for some more trail 101s coming down the road. And then um, we should probably do another Ask Us Anything episode um, in the next month or so as well. So slide into our DMs. We want your questions. And until next time, we'll see you out on the trails. 